Welcome to Thrive Church. I'm so happy that you're here with us today. I'm Judah, lead pastor here at Thrive. And whether you're with us in person or watching online, we welcome you. And I also want to invite you next week. Next week is our Mother's Day services. So for all the moms out there, this is the time that you get to guilt trip your family into coming to church with you, okay? So uh, you can do some arm twisting and say, hey, for Mother's Day, I want you to come to church with me. So, uh, but that'll be next week. Also, for all of you guys out there, all of you uh, kids out there that have a mom, make sure you get the shopping done early, okay? So, uh, next week is our Mother's Day service. And, and today, we are actually finishing up our series, Counterfeit God, Counterfeit God, where we got our little bobblehead Jesus here. And throughout this series, We've been taking a look at these fake ideas about God. Fake ideas about God. The, the very first week we talked about uh, how, how God is not like uh, a genie who, who is in a lamp. that You rub the lamp, the genie comes out and grants us whatever we ask for. Then in week two, we talked about how, you know, uh, you know Jesus is my homeboy. It's kind of this, this idea that, that he's just a buddy, he's a friend, he's a pal, you know, he's just a good old boy, and, and how he actually, he wants to be our friend, but he's more importantly our Lord and our King. Last week, we talked about this idea that, that God is not just some guru offering us a little bit of advice here and there. So many people, they want God as an advisor, but they don't want him as the Lord of their life. Now, if you've noticed, though, these, these different ideas, these fake ideas about God aren't actually wrong. I don't know if you notice that, but like all of these things like God, like the genie week, you know, God wants to answer prayer. Like he wants to answer prayer and, and, and he wants to be your friend and he even wants to give you good advice. The problem with these counterfeit gods is that they're only two-dimensional. They're only, like you only see one side of a multifaceted God. And if that's all we see is this idea of answering prayer or just God is love or God is mercy or God's my buddy, if we only see this one side, then we're serving a counterfeit God. See, making a God with only one attribute is creating a counterfeit. And, and that's, that's this idea that, that, you know, many people treat their God as if they're at a buffet. Like, I'm just going to take a little bit of this, I'm going to take a little bit of that, and that's the God because it feels right, right? Like, I'm going to create a God that always agrees with me and never disagrees with me. Now, a dollar, if you counterfeited a dollar bill, you might make the piece of paper the right shape and size, but there might be other differences from that and a genuine. Like you might make it the right shape and size, but did you use the correct paper? Did you use the, the correct ink on it? Did you, you put all the, the little security measures in it? You, you see, I'm not trying to teach you how to counterfeit money here, but, but, but what I am saying is that Oftentimes, when we create our counterfeit God, we leave stuff out. Like, I'm just going to do the things that are easy, and, and, and I'm going to let the rest slide. You know, it has some similarity to God, but he is not the real and genuine God. So many people, they gravitate 
towards these fun ideas about God. And that's kind of what the first three weeks, it was all these kind of fun ideas about God. And then there's some people, some people who go the other way. Like, they're not going towards the fun God. They're going towards the angry and mean God, the, 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 the tyrant God, the cruel and oppressive ruler God, the God who is a judge and who is impossible to please. Have you ever felt like God is, is impossible to please? You know, I had this idea when I was younger that, that I could never really please God unless I was perfect. Like, I thought I had to please, I had to be perfect in order to please God. I thought that God's love for me was dependent on my behavior. And and it was kind of like this sliding scale. Like, one day, I would get up, and, and I would read the Bible, and I would pray, and I would be kind and respectful and loving, and man, that, that scale, like I was up maybe at 87% love there from God. But the next day, you know, I cheated on a test, and maybe I told a little lie, and, and I thought some impure thoughts, and now, now that slide was way down. Like maybe we're like 26, 27% love. And, and I kind of assumed that God's love for me was dependent on my behavior, on my, on my performance. Many people have this idea that God is kind of out to get them. I had so many people over the years, I've invited people to come to church. And they're like, oh, I can't go to church because if I go there, uh, I'm going to get struck by lightning. Like, like they say it kind of jokingly, but kind of serious because we have this idea from, from Greek mythology that God is, you know, got lightning bolts in his his hand. Now, I, I have a, uh, you know, a, a flashlight here, but this is not an ordinary flashlight. This is like the kind of flashlight Zeus would hit, carry. You know, and, and this is the idea some of us have about God. This is a stun gun flashlight, man. If you ever want to get stuck in a dark alley, this is what you have. But some people think God must be like that because we read stories in the Bible of the flood. You know, and, 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 and Noah, and God wiping out all these people. And it's like God's up there like, ha-ha, gotcha, <laughs> sucker. <laughs> you know, Sodom and Gomorrah were like, you know, God's like, hey, I'm going to destroy this place. You know, we're going to just send down the works, you know. And, and, and this is the idea that so many people get about God, that he's just up there. You know, that they assume that God is up there waiting for you to step out of line. Okay, oh, uh, is he going to screw up? Oh, yeah, yeah, we got him now, sucker. <laughs> you know. And this is the idea that so many people get about God. They think that he's, you know, this cruel God. And and this isn't helped much by certain pastors and ministers who come on TV when there's a national disaster. And they say, the reason we have this national disaster is God is judging us for our wickedness. And we're like, oh, wow, see, God is up there like, you know, he just, just can't wait. Oh, oh, I gotcha, gotcha. And see, this idea that God is like a tyrant, see, God often comes off looking like a tyrant, like he can't wait to punish the wicked. And then people read the Old Testament, and they think that God is cruel and unloving and harsh. But, in your notes, you'll never fully appreciate the good news until you fully grasp the bad news. See, there's some bad news, okay? Like, like, like sometimes we, we like to talk about the good news. We don't like to talk about the bad news. Remember I said all of these counterfeit gods, they actually have some parts of God in it. They're, they're, they're aspects of who God is. See, see the, gospel, the gospel isn't complete 
without understanding judgment. See, the good news is not the good news until we understand the bad news. We have to understand it first. See, every counterfeit is based on some truth. There is some truth in it that makes it a counterfeit. But we do know some things about God. Does God get angry? Yes, but we know that Scripture says that he's slow to anger. You know, me and some of my friends, we, we've been reading some of these uh, minor prophets in the Old Testament, and we see God gets angry, but it's slow to get angry. He's slow to get angry. You know, we, we, we talk about these things. In fact, it, you know, if you're interested, you can check out our podcast, Thriving in the Word, where, where we just go through Scripture, and we look at these things, and, and, and we uncover what's in Scripture, and, and we see, oh, God, God, he does get angry sometimes, but he's slow to anger. But we like to talk about God being a God of love. We like to talk about God being kind and generous and merciful. We don't like to talk about God and his wrath. And the book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, The Lord is a jealous God, filled with vengeance and rage. He takes revenge on all those who oppose him and continues to rage against his enemy. Doesn't this sound like a fun God to you? I mean, it's like, yeah, sign me up for that one, you know? The Lord is a jealous God filled with vengeance and rage. I don't want a, a God filled with vengeance and, and rage. He doesn't sound like a fun God. It doesn't sound like a kind of God that I'd want to go to a party with. He doesn't sound like my, my homeboy for sure. See, some people, though, they love this. There's some people, they love this idea of God, like God, you know, just wanting to zap people. You know, they, they love that idea. And sometimes you see him out in the streets with the little signs, just turn or burn, you know. It's like, 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 like God just can't wait to send you to hell, you know. It's like zap, you know, he's just waiting for us to mess up. Some people love this idea, but most people hate this idea of God, of being a God of, of rage. Most people say, if this is the way that God is, they don't want to have anything to do with him. They think that if God is a God of anger and rage, they want nothing to do with him. But, but it's important to realize that anger without love is rage. But that's not what God is. God is not a raging lunatic of a God. He is, does get angry about certain things, as we'll see. But he doesn't fly off in a rage. But many people have made this the reason that they don't follow God. Those are like, I can't follow a God like that. I can't follow a God who would, who would send people to hell. I've heard this all my life. I can't follow a God who would send people to hell as if that's what God wants to do anyway. As if God is just saying, oh, I just can't wait to send people to hell. And since many people have this idea, there's a lot of churches in our world today that then gravitate towards only talking about God's love. And they only talk about God's grace and his mercy, and we create this other false God. The one that's just always friendly and always kind and always loving. And we forget about the thing that God can get ticked off sometimes. God can get angry about things that happen and things that we do. So you can't appreciate the good news until you can grasp the bad news. And you know what the bad news is? Is that you have a problem. Not just you, like, I have a problem too. And you're like, we knew that already. Um, the bad news is you have a problem. You know what that problem is? It's sin. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. In the Bible, it says that, that all of us have sinned. All of us have broken God's commandments. All of us 
have done things that displease God. All of us have done things that separate us from God. And whose fault is that? Is that God looking to punish us? No, that's something that we have done. But if you don't realize this, you'll think that he's just an angry God. And your notes, if you don't realize that you have a problem, then you'll never reach out for a Savior. It's important for me to realize that, that I have a problem. I have a problem in my life. I have a problem, and it's called sin. I have a problem. It's called pride. I have a problem. It's called selfishness. I have a problem, and this problem is separating me. But if you don't realize that you have a problem, you'll never reach for the Savior. And, and, and if you, you might realize it, but if you realize it and don't admit it, then you'll never reach out for a Savior. This is why one of the first steps in most 12-step programs are admitting that you have a problem. See, we have to realize that there's a problem. We have to admit that we have a problem. So, what is God so mad about? What is God so ticked off about anyway? In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says this. It says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Verse 5 says, but because you are stubborn, you ever been stubborn before? Like, don't, you don't have to raise your hand, and you probably wouldn't anyway, because you're being so stubborn. Um, yeah, have you ever been stubborn? He said, because you're so stubborn, this means that, that we're not willing to go along with his plan. Because you're so stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. Doesn't that sound fun? Storing up terrible punishment. Are we storing up terrible punishment for ourselves by the way that we live our lives? By, by the sin that is embedded into our life? It says you're, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they've done. He'll give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth instead of instead live lives of wickedness. Man, doesn't this just make you feel good about things right now? And it's like, man, I came here to feel better about myself, and you're making me feel bad about myself. But the reality of it is this, that God is saying that if we choose to live in our wickedness, if we choose to live in our sin, then we are storing up punishment for ourselves. That, that God one day will unleash his anger and judgment upon us. But there is an option See, in your notes, God is never neutral towards evil. He's never neutral. It's not like a, well, you know, this bad thing is kind of okay. No, no, God is never neutral towards evil. Sin is sin, and God hates sin. Reminds me of the 30th president of the United States, Calvin Coolidge. And, and he was going to go to church one day, and, and he went to church, but his wife did not come with him. And he goes there, and he comes home, and he was known as a man of few words. And his wife asked him, says, Honey, uh, what did you uh, learn about in church today? And he just says, Sin. She's like, Okay, what about sin? He just says, I think God's against it. You know, 
he, he was a man of few words, but he kind of grasped something, but it's not even a, I think God's against it. See, when it comes to sin, God hates sin. He is never neutral towards evil. We should understand one thing about God, that he is a holy God who hates sin, wickedness, and evil. We need to realize that God hates wickedness. He hates evil. He hates sin. These are the things that make God angry. One of the most famous sermons that has been preached in the last several hundred years was one that that maybe you've learned about in school. It was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Doesn't that just sound so uplifting? right? Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was preached by a man named Jonathan Edwards right here in Enfield, Connecticut on July 8th, 8, 8, uh, 1741. And he preached this message and it was all about how people have sinned and God is angry. God is angry. Now, truth be told, Jonathan Edwards wasn't normally preaching sermons like that. And that one did spark the Great Awakening because people realized for the first time perhaps that God, while he is a God of love, is also a God of anger at times. But, in your notes, if you only see God as an angry God, you have the wrong idea of God. If you only see him as angry, then you have the wrong idea. He's not just some, some you know, angry God just waiting to zap you, waiting for you to mess up so that he can punish you. If you only see him as this tyrant, then you are looking at God in a false way. It's a fake God. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, but God showed his great love. See, the other side of this is that God is still a loving God. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. When? While we were still sinners. Underline that. While we were still sinners. So he sent his son to die for us while we were his enemies. Verse 9. And since we have been made right in God's sight, by the blood of Christ, he'll certainly save us. From whose condemnation? God's condemnation. Because God is a judge. God is holy and pure and cannot be around sin. But because of the sacrifice that Jesus made, he says he will certainly save us from that condemnation. Verse 10, for since our freedom with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, while you were his enemy, God still loved you. While he was angry at you, God still loved you. He says, for our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. And we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. We'll be saved through the life of his son. Now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Isn't that what we crave, what we desire to be a friend of God, but it begins with understanding that God is all-powerful, that God is the king and ruler of all. See, in your notes, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can escape God's wrath. Because of what Jesus did, we don't have to experience the brunt of God's anger. 
Yes, God may be angry, but he is angry only to draw us to himself. And when we come to the realization of who Jesus is, turn our lives around, the anger is replaced with mercy. See, God hates sin and refuses to be around it, but he loves you and he loves me. It's kind of a catch-22, though. How can he hate sin so much but love me in my sin? As it says, even when I was a sinner, Jesus died for me. It's a catch-22. How can he hate this so much and yet love me regardless? He had to make a way, and he made that way by sending Jesus. Maybe you have a, a friend or a family member who does something that you hate. Maybe you have someone close to you and they're living a life of addiction. Maybe there's somebody that's close to you and they just have a bad attitude all the time. Maybe there's somebody that's close to you and, and, and they're, they're, they're continually you know, living beyond their means. There's something in their life that you hate. Even though you love them, there's something that you can't stand. And in your mind you're thinking, if only they could get rid of this one thing, then I could fully express my love to them. It doesn't mean that you would love them more, but it would allow you to express it more fully to them. See, and that's how our relationship with God is. When we are walking in sin, man, God loves us so much. But he said, if we can only get rid of this sin. Now, you can't do it on your own. You can't do it without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ our Lord. See, we can't fully appreciate God's love until we understand what makes him mad. When we realize that my sin angers God, then I can begin to understand God's love for me. We'll close with this verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. It says, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. So does God at times display anger? Yes, absolutely. But see, God chose to save us not so that he could pour out anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, that we can live with him forever. See, God wants us in his family. God wants to forgive us of our sins. He wants us to turn from our old ways and follow him. He wants us to, to live a renewed life, a discipled life. Every other major religion in the world requires its followers to pay a penalty for the offenses that they commit. If they've done something wrong, they are responsible for it. It is up to them to offer penance. It's up to them to make things right. It's up to them to remove the sin. Nobody is stepping in for you. You made the mistake and you pay the price. But only God... Only God looked across the judgment bench at you and said, you are guilty. And the penalty of your sin is death. And he rings out the gavel. And then he steps out from behind the bench. And he goes in front and says, but I am going to pay the debt for you. I am going to pay the death penalty in your place. And he goes there and Jesus dies on the cross, but death couldn't hold him and he comes to life again. See, we deserve the full force of God's wrath. But Jesus' Jesus's sacrifice sets us free from sin 
It delivers us from his anger and his wrath. And see, he doesn't want to be angry with you. He wants you to return to him. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to take the step, a step of faith, to call on his name. See, how can God be a God of wrath and a God of love at the same time? Because of what Jesus did on the cross. He wasn't wanting anyone to perish. He didn't want anyone to perish, but he wants them all to have everlasting life because God loves this world so much that he sent his son Jesus to die so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we deserve eternal punishment, but we can praise God for his mercy and that he offers a way of escape, that he offers a way to remove our sin, to offers a way to pay the debt that we could not pay. He offers a way for us to live in his mercy and in his grace rather than in his judgment and anger. And so God is offering that way to you. Will we take the step? Will we continue to live a life that is displeasing, dishonoring, that's living in his anger? Or will we receive the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord who offers us freedom and deliverance today if only we call on his name? So God, we come to you now. And we thank you for your goodness, O Lord. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. And we know that there's times in our life that our sin makes you angry. We know there's times in our life that we do things that displease you, O Lord, but let us, let us turn from those things. Let us, let us choose to follow you. Let us walk in the way that you want us to walk. Lord, forgive us for the times that we've just taken for granted. Oh, I can just get away with this. God doesn't mind. Lord, we realize that each and every sin that we commit, it goes against you. So, Lord, we ask you for your forgiveness now. If, if you're here today, whether you're in person, online, driving, wherever you are, and you want to make a new start, you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ, don't let another day go by. Won't you call on his name now? Maybe you realize that you're living a life that is angering God. Let's make that right now. Scripture says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus died so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be a friend of God. You don't have to live under the wrath of God any longer. Won't you call on his name? Say, Jesus, you are my Lord. I put my faith and trust in you. Father, we ask you to forgive us of the times that we've lived a life of sin. Please forgive us. Let us turn from those things. Let us follow you. We thank you that you are holy and you are just. You are pure and you have made a way. We thank you for bringing us forgiveness and freedom and healing and hope for a future with you in heaven one day. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. 
thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go and visit us at www.thrive.church. If you're ever in the area, we'd like to invite you to come and join us. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to leave a rating, review, share with your friends and family. Until next time, may you grow deeper in God's word each day.